0: In a very brief time, Alex Bellage has confirmed himself as a practitioner of tremendous skill, imagination and originality. As a highly accomplished and multi-awarded lighting designer and theatre director, he has navigated an impressive trajectory, seeing him shape classical works, new Australian repertoire, self devised creation and the musical. He is a graduate of the National Institute of Dramatic Art in production, returning three years later to complete his Masters in Direction. Delivering a focused and creative flair since childhood, it would seem that his career was always assured. His production of the musical Crybaby at the Hayes in 2018 garnered a swag of Sydney Theatre Awards. He returns there shortly, breathing life into the musical version of Brett Easton Ellis's macabre and sardonic tale of a New York investment banker, American Psycho. Bellage's production is bound to captivate, challenge and enthrall. He has guided the new Australian works Home Invasion, The Vandemar Papers, and There Will Be a Climax to the stage, embracing the collaborative experience and finding the nuance of each. As a lighting designer, he has worked on stages main and fringe, the next being a production of The Lord of the Flies at the Sydney Theatre Company. His productions command easy engagement and seduce with a vibrant and quirky aesthetic, guaranteeing audiences delight and reward. He is passionate, he is original, he is an intelligent theatre maker. He is Alex Bellage. good. Yeah, you've got like a kind of like a
1: an amazing suite of the who's who both now and historically. Like it's kind of, it, it's it's a nice little archive thing of sort, you know what I mean? Like it's just, yeah, I think it's really I'm great. loving it, yeah, because yeah. I, I think I'm recording But even for these... you, you get to just have nice chats about Yeah, absolutely, people. and pick
0: their brains and all mm. that sort of thing. I'm learning so much mm. and... Um, Creating these great oral histories yeah, yeah. with people, which is great. Um, a, a lot of the people I've known, there's probably been two or three interviews I haven't totally. known. Um, and uh, did you catch up with the news that I've been nominated for Best New Podcast? I did see that. Very good, congratulations.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and you also like were into podcast like top hundred or something, or what was that Yes, for? yes,
0: out of three hundred and thirty six. Yeah. So that's nice too. So yeah. oh, no, I'm not a b no.
1: I'm not a big podcast listener, but I need to get more into it. But that's like so. Like imagine, like for like you know that sort of audience is amazing.
0: Well, uh, there would be heaps of things that you would find. Well,
1: that's what I like. 90%. Yeah, like I, you know, I, I need to I need to do them all the troll through. Love it. Yes. I need
0: to. Now, tell me, what's what would you say is your favourite stage in the production process? I mean, if we think about you know going from audition right through to final night closing night, what do you enjoy most? Uh
1: I think maybe. Um, my favourite stage is when there's there's no, I think when there's no responsibility, I think maybe. It's, it's when it's, you're able to just like sit around with like your set designer and costume designer and just dream and kind of just be like, here is this problem and how do we, what are all the different ways we could possibly solve it? And just throwing out like all the random ideas all like, you know, however absurd they are, just putting them all into the pot and working out everything it could be and everything it can't through that process. I think there was like, when we were working on Crybaby, there was a time where we were throwing ideas of like, what if the show was set in a giant ball pit? Or what if it was, if it was on a jumping castle? Just throwing all these like random ideas in the pit. I think that's my favourite part, is just trying to discover what it could be.
0: Finding the key. Well, finding the key. Yeah, finding to the key to open the door.
1: Finding, finding, finding the key in the most unexpected place. So I think you know, trying to, trying to work out what, trying to start from a at the most unexpected place possible to find the way in.
0: I think. And I guess you know, you, you get to a point where obviously you can dream and think as as much as you want about how you envisioned the production but yeah. then when that collaborative process takes place with the designer and choreographer and other people on board yeah. that's when you can really sort of journey together to to seek yeah answers
1: yeah i think it's 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 so interesting just the you know process of making any sort of work it's added, you know you start with you know you, you you just start with yourself you know when you say i'm going to do this show and then you add someone else into the conversation and the conversation goes towards that direction and someone else gets added and then it kind of goes in a slightly different direction. So you're kind of right. It's a a process of adding more and more sort of ideas and people into this room and then by the end of it you have opening night and you have you know the 20 odd people who created the show essentially going like ta-da to like you know this random group of a hundred people who know nothing about any of the conversations you've had previously all they know is the two hours they see in front of them so yeah it's yeah it's a weird process of just adding progressively more and more people into this mix and just seeing what happens.
0: What do you like on opening night because you know we we get to opening night that's that's the director's responsibility to get it there yeah. are you good at handing over the production then to your company your stage manager your actors
1: I think so um, I I tend I tend to do the do the like quick dash backstage you know tuckers guys and then sort of run away but I I kind of like trying to find the most discreet corner in the foyer and just kind of trying to hide there as much as I can before the show. Cause I don't, I, and then, and then I don't really like being present uh, until after the show. Cause I, yeah, I just like, I don't, I don't like influencing, you know what I mean? I think it's, I think theatre succeeds most when you kind of are able to sort of step away from it. Um, but in terms of like giving notes, I'm, I mean, it's a living breathing thing. So I think, you know, uh, it's important to, like, c- come back a few times throughout the process to sort of check-, check in, not to sort of change anything, but just to sort of remind that this is the thing we've kind of created and don't go down that tangent. And I think, you know, when you're dealing with comedy, you know, something might happen one night, which, the, you know, the cast discovers which you need to sort of come back and have the conversation where you're like, does this work or does this distract from what we're trying to do?
0: Yeah. It's a funny relationship, isn't it? Um, yeah. Actors and directors, you know, yeah. it's, it's almost parental because we, <laughs> we, we don't want them, after opening, we don't want them hanging around too much. Yeah. We don't want to see the directors yeah. popping back all the time, but we do still crave that uh, appearance every now and then just for reassurance totally. and for the feedback. Yeah, yeah it's,
1: it's interesting the sort of the... The times when you tell the actors you're going to be in tonight, and so versus the times where you don't tell the actors you're going to be in tonight, and you kind of hide in the back, you know, not, like completely unintentionally, you just like you just you know happen to be available and you just sort of da- dash in last minute. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a really fascinating relationship between. Um, yeah, the director and the, and the actors, you're right, it's kind of like a you know, don't muck up the directors in the room, but I I don't I don't see it too much like that, I suppose. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I, I touched on then, you know, the director's a bit like a parent, but but what other roles do you do you take on when you are a director, I I guess. Yeah. I think it's being a
1: director is kind of almost like a unqualified uh, sort of psychiatrist at some points, I suppose, or, you know, or like psychologist or, you know, or something you, you, you have to, I mean, there's that aspect where you have to work out how to have tricky conversations with actors to unpack really tricky issues. Um, You know, at the same time, how to navigate something, which an actor might be a bit hesitant about, but trying to find the common ground between the two of you. So, yeah, there's certain times where it feels it feels like you you're doing more more sort of emotional and um, emotional navigating uh, than um, than actually creative sort of I'd say um, you know uh, shaping making pictures I suppose. So yeah, it is it's really fascinating because what what we are making is we are on stage in, in many instances trying to simulate life to a certain extent or or to take life and extend it and expand it and explode it in different directions and that can be you know through you know hyperrealism taking you know incredible moments of human pain or tragedy or elation or you know, um, you know, to their nth degree, or taking something you know as mundane as peeling a banana, and and you know, extrapolating it into a dream ballet. So we're doing, you know, we go to the full ends of the spectrum. Um, but yeah, it's it's this minefield of how do you how do you present these deep human emotions and desires, and how do you work with these actors to unpack them and present them in the best way which is also safe and support them and support support as well like you have to you have to find a way that supports but also you know helps you say what you're trying to say as a as a group in a company i mean there's that there's that aspect and then there's also also the um you know the deeply organizational aspect where you know you feel like you're you know running a, a a company or, you know, or like you're, you know, having to sort of work out, you know, the schedulings and make sure you tick that, tick that, you know, and navigating this sort of this uh, process of needing to solve this problem here. How much time do we have to do this? So it kind of is this weird gamut of all these different roles in life and all these different conversations and occupations melded into this weird thing, I suppose.
0: Are you um, good at the organisational aspect?
1: I think, I hope so. I I, used to be, I was, I trained um, back uh, before I was a director in production, so I did a bit of stage management. So sometimes potentially I do too many spreadsheets and too many uh, sort of tables and things to kind of nut out shows. So I'd say, yes, there is that organisational aspect, but then at the same time, I'm a big believer in just uh, kind of intuition and kind of uh, things just finding themselves and plans just kind of things just happening as they should. Um, well, it's, yes, it's yeah. that finding
0: that balance, isn't it? Because you, you do have to have yourself open to yeah discovering things in the rehearsal room, making the production very organic. Um, yeah, but, but I think if you
1: set up if you set up a good foundation of of structure it gives you the ability to then go with the flow so that you know the bones yeah. and the organs of the piece yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i mean i think i think yeah you touched on something yeah definitely i'm definitely very um, specific about kind of making sure we have bones and a structure And then as as soon as you know what your bones and what your structure is, you know what you can, you know what you're departing from or what you're aiming and what you're aiming towards. So then if someone come, if you come up with this wacky idea or this, this, uh, this thought, you know, whether it's supporting or whether it's propelling away from, and if it's propelling away from it. Is it in a go- is it a good thing for this production or is it a bad thing? So I think it's it's so integral to know what you're trying to say and what your rules are, so you know what you can break and and what you can't. If that makes sense.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Alex, where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in Ashfield, in um, the inner west of Sydney. So lived in. Um, Uh, uh, a two-bedroom place uh, with my parents and uh, sister. And then when I was four, we moved to Croydon Park, um, which is just a little bit wester. And then um, when I went to high school, then moved to North Strathfield. So kind of, I'd say, say, you know, yeah, inner west, verging on sort of Western Sydney, kind of, yeah, just close to the Red Rooster line.
0: So did you have an artistic bent growing up? Yes. We're a bit of a performer or Yeah, so
1: um, attention seeker. It's, uh, well look, you know, it's your words not mine. Um, <laughs> so, um, when I was uh, when about like uh, probably between like 4 and 12, um uh, I somehow convinced my dad to build like a little stage in our backyard yeah um and even and we even we even like somehow built a cubby house and we called it the studio backlot you didn't we did so I had a cubby house called the <laughs> studio Backlot. and then I mean it was you know it was it was it was actually pretty amazing he did he, he's like pretty bloody good handyman um and then um, and then you built this stage and i and i I crap you not that it was it was like a proscenium made out of scrap wood. Um, and it had a backdrop curtain, which was a Star Wars episode uh, five bed sheet. And then the um, then the front curtain was a tarpaulin that would French action. Uh, and then it had like a bit of wood um, sort of up, uh, that kind of protruded from this kind of ramshackle proscenium. And it, um, a mirror ball would hang off it. Right. So we had this like little stage thing and we do these most bizarre kind of little things. Pantomimes that were loosely based on Disney tales, um, but I think we one time did this one, which was kind of like a an abridged twenty minute uh, Sound of Music. That worked really well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we kind of we yeah I would basically rope in all the kids from the street. Um, they had no choice um, to be in these like shows that I would kind of create in the backyard. Um, and yeah, we kind of do them. And uh, I think there was one time even around the Sydney 2000 Olympics that there was this uh, guy who would come around and his job was essentially to sell like membership to the Olympic club. I'm not sure if you remember that, but yeah, it was like the, you know, the videotapes and you get tickets to the dress rehearsal. And so I think every, he came over like twice or something but each time we would put on a show for him this random poor guy whose job was literally just to sell these this membership thing and we would just like perform these shows for him somehow and i got photos of it. it's bloody hilarious <laughs>
0: <laughs> so studio backlot your cubby hut um yeah. and a lot of sort of um, filmic stories there you're, yeah. you're telling on stage so were you watching a lot of films or were you off to the cinema a lot
1: I don't, I don't know if I was off to a similar light. We we watched a lot of VHSs, um, you know, a lot of Disney films, a lot of um, you know the you know Little Rascals, all those sort of like fun things. Um, I Can't remember exactly what we were watching, but I think we we watched a lot. I loved I loved kind of building th- like building things or like uh, maybe project managing things. That is probably the the better word because my dad did most of the building. I kind of said I'll put it there, and you know, like so, a little. So, what was
0: it igniting <clears throat> that that creativity and that imagination for you? I mean, obviously, kids love to play, but you sound like you're a bit more of an exception as a child. I don't you?
1: know. I think, I mean, even it, uh, I think it just kind of liked. Uh, sort of, um, yeah, I, I don't quite know, actually. I mean, even even sort of as a child, I would always, like, I would quite often turn my entire bedroom into a cubby house. Right. So, like, sheets everywhere, and then it would just be kind of... It would stay like that for, like, a week at a time. And, you know, like, if my parents wanted to come, in, they'd have to, like, climb into the cubby house. I'd literally flip up my room and turn it into a cubby house. And
0: You were set designing. Yeah, I was at set designing. Age.
1: but also, But also kind of... Uh, I remember just, like, I would get the Jenga blocks and I would constantly... I would never play Jenga with them. I would just use them to make... to, like, build sets for, like, the MTV VMAs or, like, you know, Video Music Awards and I'd just go, like, the <laughs> ARIA Awards and I'd kind of just, like, create these things. Where, like, oh, I could put it like this. I could make this, you know, interesting shape here. And I would just kind of, yeah, set design these things. And I suppose it was just... I um, came from a place of wanting to sort of play and create and create these little worlds. And I think maybe maybe that is where it is this idea of creating these uh these these worlds which are you know maybe you know somewhat as, uh, like escapes from reality, I don't know. So we we were happy child? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was very like very much like I think I kind of just did did my own thing, I suppose. Um I was all I was I was always, I would probably describe myself as like a floater. So, not sort of, not like a, here is my very close group of friends. But I was kind of friends with everybody. Right, yep, yep. But not so, you know, there would, there was no, no sort of like, here is my surreal, here is my supreme best friend. It was sort of, you know, we just all hang out, we kind of all do this. You know, I uh, was like v- vice captain in primary school and then... Uh, no, school captain in primary school and then vice captain in high school. So I was very engaged in school, but I think I... Yeah, I don't know. I think I was happy.
0: Yeah, you are so good. I happy. hope I was. Uh, you, <laughs> you, you always had a glint in your eye, a, a, a cheeky grin, and looked like the cat who got the cream. Well, I always. mean, cheeky maybe is a good word. Cheek, cheeky in a good way. Yeah. In a good way. Um, do you remember the first live performance that you saw? I do. What was it?
1: Singing in the rain. The musical. Well, this is the first. This is the first like big live performance I saw. This doesn't include um, seeing um, a Spice Girls cover group at uh, Ashfield Mall. <laughs> um, that was a great live performance. I thought it was the real Spice Girls. Uh, but yeah, the first sort of live big musical I saw was Singing in the Rain, and I think that was actually quite influential because here was this world where suddenly it rained indoors, like in front of me. And I found that so amazing. I just remember being like, how did they do that? Where did, where did the water go? Yeah. Like, you know, it's, so I think that was quite an amazing show. And then the second show, I think the second show of that period that I saw that I really remember was um, The Sound of Music with Lisa McCune and, um, John Waters. and John Waters. Yeah. So I think those two were kind of the first big, shows I saw
0: and and it sounds like uh obviously you're enjoying them but you were looking further into them as to how yeah. did that happen why did that yeah work? I like, didn't I didn't care did
1: didn't care much for um you know the fact that they were singing beautiful songs I think I was know, yeah, more interested in yeah it's kind of like where did those hills come from you know or like we were, there's so many nuns where like where are all these people? like you know just the logistics I suppose and kind of the world building um yeah. So, yeah, maybe from yeah, quite a young age, I was kind of starting to really tune into what makes up this thing that we're seeing, not so much, you know, being kind of blinded by the spectacle.
0: So so you're this very creative kid with a huge imagination, a great love of playing. What did your parents decide to do with you? Or what did you decide that you would like
1: well, to do? When I, well, when I was in primary school, I don't know how it happened, but then... I started taking dance lessons, which was great. And so I did that all throughout... Did that from like maybe like about year two through uh, sort of yeah for quite a while up until high school. Was that by choice or
0: suggested by a teacher or I your sister was I think my parents
1: were it? like I think it was a way for them for me to stop harassing the um, the uh, you know Olympic club man. It's like <laughs> you know you know maybe maybe he, we should actually get him doing dance lessons and then he doesn't you know spend all the time kind of you know making shows around the house. I mean I think it was just them being a little bit smart. Um, but yeah, I started doing that, and that was great. You know, did uh, you know jazz, tap, ballet, and all that, and um, and then the dance school started to add musical theatre. So then I started doing a bit of that. Did a bit of singing and the dance, uh, singing and the acting. Um, and that was really that was uh, yeah, I really loved that. It was really good, and it was so interesting going to this school where I think I was only like one of like three boys in the entire school. So I was quite this like oddity or you know luxury item you know of sorts potentially you know it's a yeah it's this this you're very much this only guy in this room of like you know 20 other girls your age and I think there yeah there's I always find it quite funny there's always these moments of you know, uh, you'd end up being like center or downstage center, and not because of my skill by any means, just because just you know, I was, just because I had to wear a different costume, and it would look weird if I was, you know, <laughs> slightly prom side or slightly op. Some and then I can I can imagine, you know, some of the some of the other people in the room would be like, "Why is he center? Why is he downstage center?" And I'm like, well, "I don't know, just it's my costume." <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's good. And then I think my parents, uh, you know, decided to when we were looking at high schools um it was either I was either going to go to quite a selective all-boys school like you know you know Saint Aloysius or you know or something like that um but then uh we also were looking at other options and kind of looked at uh College which was a performing arts high school and um uh I think also uh you know I've I auditioned for dance there and I think they saw boy dancing great and they um and they gave me like a half scholarship to go there which was really which was really great and uh, and uh meant that that was possible financially for my parents as well. Um so yeah they were silly enough to let me go to a performing arts high school. Um and then you know it was all over from there. I definitely wasn't going to be an accountant or lawyer.
0: <laughs> so you started the dancing stream. How did you find yourself in the acting stream because well, You've got, I, yeah. I think you crossed over in year seven. That's no,
1: I crossed over in year eight. Year eight, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it? yeah. So I was in the dancing stream all for year seven. And then in year eight, I went over to the acting stream. And I think it was like a process of um, kind of just all, a lot of the other, I think a lot of the other guys in my year were doing the acting stream. A lot of my actual close friends. Yep um, that I would sort of hang out with. And I think it was potentially influenced a little bit by wanting to spend more time with my friends. Um, but also I suppose, you know, come at a time of kind of, you know, peer pressure and all that things. And, you know, you're discovering who you are as a person. So you're like, Oh, can't do like, you know, the, the dance thing anymore. That's not what guys do. Ah, you know, so, um, so kind of went more into the, um, the acting thing. And I, and I really enjoyed it. And, um, And, you know, it'd always been something that I'd sort of looked to, but I think that was kind of the final push, I suppose. Um, And I'm really actually uh, glad for it because it really sort of had sort of uh, ignited a path which I'm really happy I went down. And it's so interesting. There's so many moments in our life where sort of like a split, like a a split second flip a coin decision
0: sliding doors Well,
1: sliding doors yeah you're right and I I think I've had so many of those moments artistically where things could have gone either way like I could have decided to keep dancing or you know uh, could have my parents could have decided that I you know don't go to performing arts high school Um, and you know much the same as you know uh, study choices there was a moment where I could have Worked uh, uh, like a part time at a Sydney theatre company as like a marketing assistant instead of going to study at NIDA. And so I was like, this moment of which one do you choose? So there's so many moments that you know we just have to make that decision, it kind of influences where you go. And you know, I'm not sort of religious or deeply spiritual, but it kind of, it always the right thing, whether it's it doesn't feel right at the moment, I feel always it always pans out
0: yeah absolutely um, and look observing you through high school because in case people haven't worked out already Alex and I have known each other in a previous life yeah. <laughs> um, you you were somebody who was very much a jack of all trades I mean you could have gone anywhere you could have been an actor you could have gone into producing you mm. could have gone into marketing uh you could have gone into direct, to directing, which indeed you had. Yeah, you were all fascinated with all aspects of production, and I think you had an experience of all aspects of production mm. while yeah, you were, totally at school. So um, yeah, it's uh, but everything turned out all right.
1: Oh, I mean, if for now, for now it's turned out all right. Let's see how it goes. No, <laughs> no yeah, and no, it was really good. Yeah, I think that's at high school. I got the chance to kind of sample so many different aspects and I was so lucky in that regard to, to be in a place where, you know, I could, um, could have my, have a hand at trying to help out, um, the, the theatre technician there who is a guy called Peter Earth. Is Peter Earth still there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. still there. Um, and you know, help him out with lighting and learn a little bit about that and sample that or, you know, stage manage a show and kind of see what that's like and, um, yeah, it's, it was such a really good experience, and I think all the opportunities I got there, but also all their staff there just so were so inspiring and, and really championed just great ways of thinking. And like it's, yeah, even just like across art and visual arts and like English and drama, like it's some really, yeah, great opportunities and really kind of shaped, I think, a lot of my morals and kind of ethic. Yeah, it's, yeah. Great. Very lucky.
0: Great. So you finish high school and then it's off to NIDA. Yes. Yeah. Yes. National Institute of Dramatic Art, where you did the production course. I
1: did. And it was, it was, I remember actually talking with you because this was a moment where I could have done either course. I think I remember actually having a, a discussion with you as it like, a, like, I don't know whether to do the design, to apply for the design course or the production course. And then I think I think actually I remember you saying go for the production courses more jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I mean there's truth to that. There's been more jobs, yeah. but yeah it's a uh, it, it and so yeah we, we went applied for that and was lucky was lucky enough
0: to get in. So so what did you do? You said earlier that you did a little bit of stage management in the yeah. production course. What else do you learn in a production course?
1: Oh, in the production it's changed a little bit now, but in the production course. Um, you do a bit of stage management, a bit of production management, sound design, lighting design, lighting, kind of a like a technician work. Basically, everything that's not inexplicitly set design, costume design, uh, or acting, you know, it's kind of all those other sort of jobs that fall between. Props so, making? Uh, I mean, a, a, a little, a little bit, bit, but there is a props making course, but it really like it kind did. of like the me- menial sort of things. So it, it's basically the the nuts and bolts degree, I maybe call it. So it taught you everything about all that, all the unglamorous things you need to do to make things glamorous, I suppose. Uh, so it was really kind of amazing to just learn so much about um, how, how to make the thing work and and um, yeah, so whilst I was there, I did some ASMing, um, did some stage managing, and uh, and also you know uh, we also like produced music videos. So we got like this amazing gamut of experience, um, you know, through to like logistical management for like big Olympic ceremonies. So like all these um, like am- amazing uh, sort of insights which I'm so lucky to have now because, you know, moving through, you you kind of know now what is and isn't possible. And I think that's actually been such a great foundation to have as a director because uh, you can, it goes back to that backbone, that sort of, that sort of structure. You know, you know what is possible and you know what isn't possible and then how to like, you know, ask the right questions or, you know, or shape it to be possible, you know, it's... uh, yeah it was really it was really great and met some incredible people there as well um
0: so you come out of NIDA and mm. you establish yourself quite quickly as a lighting designer of notes yeah. so why, why did you go down that path of lighting design rather than stage management or
1: well I think there was always something sort of simmering there I mean uh like even my class used to kind of uh, like sort of like, their nickname for me, and I think maybe this... Like, I hope this doesn't make me look too much like a dickhead. But then some of some of the nickname for me was Artistic Director of the World. Right. Yeah. What? Uh, yeah,
0: what? like... Uh, well, no, well I, I think I used to say at high school... Oh, you'd be, really? You'll be running the Sydney Theatre oh, Company God, one no. day or last.
1: No, so, like, I, I mean, I, I think there's a little bit of tongue or in cheek there. Or further Like, which I'm like, okay, great. Good, like, that, you know, so I could see, I could see what it is for a little bit of a dig But I, I found it funny. But, I mean, they were right, though. I think I always was were was looking at something bigger and i think i get bored really easily yeah yeah so i am always looking for something like exciting something to really engage with and do and i think i could see myself at age you know 40 getting sick of lighting design yeah and i was basically trying to pr- like Preempt that burn, like preempt that burnout, and sort of prior solve it. I suppose. So I was like, well, maybe I need to sort of upskill and have more things going for me, so I don't like have a midlife crisis of you know I've kind of done the thing, you know. So I was like, I've- and I think that was kind of very much influencing um, me is try and get the most out of the-, the world as I possibly can, and try and keep as interested and engaged in as many different things. Um, so I'm still I'm still very much like lighting design and, and spend you know like about half of my year doing it. Well,
0: you're going to design uh, Lord of the Flies, aren't you? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So I'm, which
1: I'm you know At incredibly excited Company. about. Yeah. Um, but I think it's about giving myself more like more things to do, um, and more ways to have different conversations with people. Uh, and I think part of that was influenced by being able, being lucky enough to go over to the Watermill Centre. In um, Long Island, in New York, which was this like six-week summer program where you work with about like sixty other artists and kind of just throw out your your job description or your label that you know when often you meet someone you say I'm this we throw out that and just were a bunch of. Artists, yep. and that uh, that notion really excite excited me about being able to just make work and say, hey, I've got this skill. Hey, I've got this skill. Hey, I've got this passion, and just make things happen and I think we're so quick in in the Australian theatre industry to say this is what I do or I only do this and it's so fascinating the amount of people that ask me so what do you prefer lighting design or directing or you know also so you're so you not doing lighting design anymore and to which I say I, I do both I do all the things and and uh, it's uh it's you know these are the these are the skills that I have and um and i'll bring whatever skills i need to this project regardless of what title get thrown to me you know um on that particular production
0: so how long were you out of the institution before you went back in
1: Oh God. I know. It's a sound it's about sounds it sounds really um uh, terrible when you put yeah, it that way. Like well, checked well. myself back into the institution. Well people find
0: <laughs> so I know a lot of people find drama school quite yeah. a traumatic experience, yeah. but you seem to be quite happy to throw yourself back in well, and, I don't and think do a Well, I, I don't think
1: I've ever really I think this year is my first year I haven't been there.
0: Right. Yeah. It's You're a bit, always there working on a well, project was, or rehearsing or Yeah, well yeah. I
1: mean I graduated in 2013 from the production course and then went back there in 2016. So it was, you know, 14, 15, two years that I wasn't there as a student. But in that time, I was there, uh, you know, uh, uh, here and there as a teacher for, you know, or like a mentor or, um, or a guest lining designer. So I haven't, I didn't actually really ever leave, which is probably even more terrible <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, you know, I, I did yeah I did the silly thing. It, it, the amount of people that say you're an idiot for going back, you know, it's a, I just couldn't help myself, I suppose. And you know, lucky enough that people s- saw something enough to to give me a hex tip, which is really
0: nice. It's lovely, isn't it? It's really lovely. Uh, so you you apply for the masters of directing. What was that application process like? What did you have to do to get into that course?
1: Um, we had to. They gave us about six different plays. And, uh, and we had to pick one and then essentially conceptualise a production. So that was, you know, finding sort of references and finding, you know, I did, I did a... Um, I made a set model, so no surprise, um, for the show and... Um, and then basically had to write an essay about what we thought the show was about and what we wanted to say with it. So it was pretty much like a a little insight to them of who you are as a potential director. And uh, then had an interview with uh, I think it was it was a Gill and I think it was Paige Rattray at the time, um, who was the sort of the guest director interviewer. And uh, yeah, basically just had to you know sell myself and and why. Why you know I want to do the course, um, and then we had a follow-up callback interview where essentially you had to direct a little excerpt from the play, only one page, um, with two actors you'd never met before, whilst um, essentially a Gill and Page heckle you from the sidelines, you know, kind of basically you know trying to sort of see. Uh, what um, see if you stick by your ideas or whether you take notes or if you just throw everything out the window when somebody walks in the room who says they know more than you. So it's it's this yeah, this interesting battle between like sticking to your guns but also listening to advice but taking advice uh, with a grain of salt. Yeah. So it's a really it was I mean it was like probably like one of the most intense forty minutes you know of. Um, <laughs> As a director, like, being heckled whilst you learn to direct. But, I mean, it was... I mean, you can definitely... Yeah, I think it's definitely, like, a trial by fire of sorts.
0: Confirming yourself as the captain of the ship.
1: Yeah, it's, yeah it was bizarre. It was a bizarre experience, and I'd kind of been tipped off about it by a few people who... um who had previously done the course and they said don't take anything personally like you know they're meant to they're meant to rattle you and you know following that moment you know once i got in you know Agil and Paige you know the most lovely you know, they're so lovely and so like they care so much about um, young artists, so you know it was all this act they do to bring out the best in you.
0: Oh, right. well, I'm sure there's yeah. some aspiring young directors listening who yes. would be very grateful for that. Oh, good. Oh, there's a inside, hot inside information. Hot <laughs> <ship>. <laughs> now, I saw your very fabulous graduation piece. There will be a climax, oh, a play with uh, no words at all, um, and on the professional production, well. You then sort of had a season at the Old Fits, yeah, yeah, didn't yeah. you? You said, For me, my interest is in work with sonography at the forefront because that is a skill set I have. But the bigger reason is that you don't always need words to express what you want to say. You can say so much with light, with sound, with the relationship of six humans in a small space. How do you tell a story without words?
1: True, I forgot I said that. Um, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I very much stick by that, though. Um well, I mean, this show in particular uh, was a quite a u- unique piece um, and uh, something that I created with both the cast and um, and dramaturg um, Alexander Lee Re- uh, Rikas, um, and it was a really, really, actually quite a, um, I think, quite a personal uh, piece. I, I had kind of uh, been sitting on this idea from like uh, essentially the first couple of months of study at, um, at NIDA doing the directing course and it kind of just evolved into, you know, what it, what you saw on stage. But to answer your question about how do you tell a story with six people on stage, I think it comes... Without to, any words. Without any words. Well, I think it comes down to the notion of what we define theatre as. And I think, you know, there is this I think this fascination that theatre needs to be a play. Um, to which I I I actually detest that idea. I think a play can be a piece of theatre, but I don't think a theatre is a a play. Um, And I think uh, some of the most profound pieces of theatre I've seen uh, have no words or have no play script that you can buy in the foyer for ten bucks after. Not to discredit the work of playwrights by any means, but just to say that there is so much more to, you know, the potential of the art form and what I, um, what I tried to do with this work is, is we had a very clear thing that we were trying to communicate, a conversation we were really trying to have with the audience um, about notions of satisfaction, of notions of trying to connect, trying to get something, but the inability to, um, to be fulfilled, I suppose. And it seemed so right that in order to deprive the audience of the satisfaction of the spoken word um in this regards and that was something that we set out to the very beginning that you know let's let's not give them a a single word and um and instead they just have to observe these people suffering on this revolve as it spins around for the entire show so you know to throw them in this world and we played around we played around with you know when we were developing of um we're trying to bring language into it um but it just did not feel right um, so it ended up having no words as a result.
0: So uh, just just recap on what it was about. It was uh, yeah, six characters it was six, on six, a turntable. Well,
1: I, I, the the kind of the little the kind of uh, sort of phrase I like to describe it as: an assorted few believe they are stuck in a revolve that spins for the entire show. So that that's basically basically the the idea of you know being yeah stuck in this thing and having no idea how you got here. And then having to work out, what do you do next? And throughout the course of the show, various objects fell from the sky. And these um, figures, I suppose, had to figure out what these objects meant. Were they ways of escaping? Did they Were they way, ways of buying time? Were they meant to escape? You know, so it's all these existential questions. And I mean, one of the big influences for me is the work of Bertolt Brecht and, um, and also Samuel Beckett. And I think this piece in particular, I was looking at, um, you know, uh, Beckett's Act Without Words 2, I think it was, and trying to, you know, look at these existential questions of, you know, what does it mean to be satisfied and what does it also mean to be here and present and trying to unpack all those notions.
0: I picked up on a, a phrase there that you used, an assorted few. Oh, yes. which is, of course, is the name of your uh, theatre yes. company. <laughs> so, so where did that come from? You named the theatre company after your description of... No. No, well, no.
1: no we, we, I named the theatre company before the description, but then we had to find a way to describe the group of people without saying the number of people or... Or giving any characteristics to them in, in in like in marketing collateral for the show, and they were like, "Well, the only way that like an assorted few actually makes sense." Oh crap! So then it actually we actually put that in, and I think it's quite fitting that the show was produced by an assorted few, and uh, you know that was in there. But it was completely unintentional. It was just like this is actually the phrase, and and I mean that, the reason I went for an assorted few um, is because I I kind of detest the idea of. Like, people who say, like, I tested the idea of being an artistic director of a small, like, you know, indie theatre company when you're just, like, this sole person who runs it. Yes, you yes. know, I just think that's a bit naff. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, wanted to create a producing company, which was this kind of anonymous kind of uh, entity, um, which summarised, I suppose, the work ethic of like things will be made we'll make an assorted few things things will be made and assorted few people will make them um you know so each time there'll be a, a various different people who will jump on ship and make the show and all we'll make something different and you know it uh, and i you know i will always be there in some regard but it was just kind of this thing that was you know i suppose summarize the nature to which i kind of wanted work to be made um, and it was also kind of just referenced by, you know, uh, Arnott's assorted cream biscuits, which happened to be in a lot of <laughs> rehearsal rooms. So I think, I think that was also
0: very a, a
1: moment of inspi- inspiration
0: as well. <laughs> How would you describe your aesthetic? Because I've seen a few of your productions now and there's a, a similar feel or a similar look. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose any artist has, has their own stamp on yeah. the work that they create. But but what what do you consider when you are creating the look of a show? Where, where does that come from? I don't know. I don't actually.
1: I'd love someone to tell me what my aesthetic is because I actually don't know. Um, I think uh, I think I just I'm gravitated to what I think is right for the show um, to sort of do what it needs to do and take it where it needs to go. I mean, but it just so happens that maybe the shows I've kind of chosen recently. Are thematically in and uh, and p- the the ath- aesthetic
0: potential are very similar. You see, a, ca- the, a lot of characters that that seem to be clown like? Yeah, I, I, I think that's what I'm I'm putting my finger on too. Well, I mean, I, uh, I mean, I'm not talking about the clown, of course, with an orange. No, right, totally. No, I mean, I'm.
1: I mean, you could probably draw up a thing. Like, I'm very fascinated by facades, um, and the facades we put up for different audiences, and uh, I think that. Uh, yeah, when I when I make work, it's what uh, often the conversations I'll have with actors is um, is there is this does this character have a facade um, and what is their facade what are they hiding you know and so I'm very much interested in the masks we put on um, and I think uh, you know in. In and yeah, and why we put on these masks? Why we put why we perform these ideas? And I think that comes down to this this uh, exploration of the authentic self and the inauthentic self. Um, so yeah, it just so happens that a lot of the a lot of works I've kind of directed, there are quite a few masks going on uh, and being held by a few characters, and those masks sometimes uh, have quite camp or quite heightened influences. Based on what they're trying to hide, I suppose.
0: You've directed a few new Australian works: Home Invasion, yeah. the Vandermark Papers. Is that is new works a place where a lot of young directors get to cut their teeth?
1: It's interesting because it's. I think it is. I think it is definitely on an independent level, because uh, you know they're. You often fi- you find you find a new like unproduced Australian play written by you know someone else in the industry, and you get really excited about it so I think a lot of um, a lot of I know my peers and colleagues find great success in interrogating new Australian works and and mean you know pu- you know purely for the the contemporary conversations they 're having but also for the way they play with form um, and uh, yeah so I think we, we tend to cut our teeth a lot. There, but I think when it comes to a main stage, I mean, often the norm, the the sort of the thought was, you know, cut you, cut your teeth by doing a radical adaptation of a classic. But I don't know if that's so relevant anymore. I think we're, I think we're getting better at actually, um, you know, uh, getting young directors to come through with young, incredible playwrights. And I think we're we're getting uh, more aware of forging those relationships between playwright and director, and I think that's so that's so integral to you know a good theatre culture is. Is uh, is yeah playwrights and directors finding finding their matches and then main stage companies acknowledging those matches and and giving them the platform to further develop their crafts. And
0: well, I guess you know we look back at Australian theatre history and you know a young Jim Sharman and, and Neil Armfield doing the works of Patrick White. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: You know, and then, yeah, just kind of seeing it through. And I think, you know, I've, I'm have i a massive fan of um, a, a writer who's based in Melbourne called Christopher Bryant who wrote Home Invasion, and he's, like, sent me, like, about, like, he's currently... I've currently got about, like, five plays of his unproduced in my inbox, and I'm just, like, trying to find a way to put them up because, you know, it's, uh, yeah, there's some really exciting... Uh, work's been written and I think what excites me the most is when um, you know young uh, new Australian playwrights or just Australian playwrights in general write plays that uh, really prove that they should be a piece of theatre and not a film and I think you know the more we really uh, test what is possible um, and what can only be done theatrically instead of putting a film script on stage that should actually be a film the
0: better Do you harbour a desire to direct film one day?
1: I'd love to direct film one day. Yeah, I think, but I think it would uh, it would have to be the right project. And I think you know I'd, I would love to you know look at you know maybe doing like a wacky new Australian musical film. Who knows? You yeah. know there could be yeah it could be nice to go down that path and bring a little bit of theatrics there. But it's you know it's not it's not in the immediate pipeline. But you know. Let's see how things go. It could be fun if that opportunity ever arose.
0: I guess you have to be pretty even tempered as a director. How do you keep your your cool when uh, when things start to get tough when they go wrong when you, you know it's a tough yeah. week
1: yeah i think i think I think one of the most important things is empathy um, and that's something that I think there there should be more of and there can be more of in in theater I mean you know like th- Theatre is such a strange beast. You know, you have, like, you know, often, like, for example, American Psycho will bump in on Monday, and then we'll, the cast will be in on uh, Wednesday, and then we'll have first audience on Friday. Wow. So here is this bizarre scenario where you're working humans from, you know, 9am to 11pm for these five days, and by the end of this week, you have to have created this entire new world that... that Spits out something like a machine perfectly for more than two hours when the, when just five days ago there was a blank black stage like that 's crazy what we do um, so you know there's so certain times where it 's so stressful and you 're dealing with completely unrealistic deadlines and expectations, but you know there is so few few money and so few venues available but that 's just the context we work in so I think empathy goes a long way in terms of understanding that this is the bizarre thing we're doing and you, we are all working so hard and you've all you we've all got our own you know baggage and our own stuff that we're trying to work through personally and you know we just you know if things get tough and you know things get trying we just need to remind ourselves that we're kind of we're all human at the end of the day and you know we're doing this wacky thing together
0: Do you like musicals? I don't know if I do. All right. Well, you're you're quite a novice, I suppose. You know, you had extraordinary success with your first musical last year, Cry Baby, which garnered a lot of Sydney Theatre Awards, that production. It was a box office success, a critical success. So you obviously got something right. Uh, Do you enjoy it as a form?
1: I think I enjoy it as a form, but I... I, I don't like, I never saw my. I, it, I kind of fell into Crybaby. I was originally meant to direct American, American Psycho, Psycho, but yes. then that, that was pushed back to this year. And I didn't choose American Psycho because it was a musical. I chose it because I was so interested in the ideas and the world and it just happened to be a musical because they turned it into a musical and not a play. But if it was a play, I would have directed the play. You know, so it's
0: it's it's pretty fucked material. I mean it is, Ma- yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. And oh, oh my god and it is, but, but what
1: it but what it says and the potential for the conversations to have with the audience are incredible. Um, but so yeah, I fell into directing Crybaby as a sort of a last minute crap, we need to do something else. Um and uh so yeah so I, did, I never saw myself directing musicals, but that was actually a really enjoyable experience. But look, I'm not hanging in the wings waiting to direct my, you know, production of Wicked or Les Miserables. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything worse. But you'll be set up for live. No, I just don't want to. I just ka-ching. Have no, ka-ching. no, I just, I, I don't, I'm not a, like a bucket list musical theatre director. Like, I'm not like, oh, I need to do my, I need to do my Sound of Music. I need to do my Hamilton. Like, like, I
0: don't, like, I'm I'm not kind of into that. I'm, have you got CDs at home, cast recordings no, that you've bought? No, oh, never bought a cast recording. I've never
1: bought a cast recording. Oh no, but um, but I mean, I, like, I really appreciate the like the art form and the skill. But I think it's, I think what I'm more I'm interested in is like each individual work. So I was really drawn to American Psycho and and also Crybaby... Um, but yeah, but like, I and don't I know. I think
0: you were, rather looking at it as a musical, you look at it as as a text.
1: Yeah. And what do I what need is, to serve yeah. this production? Exactly. And it just so happens that the best way to have this conversation and serve this, this world is through song as well and dance as well. And I think, it, you know, American Psycho... Um, it really benefits from having that song and dance in the most unexpected way. Um, and it's, yeah, I think it's... it's When you say American Psycho, the musical, people are like, what the heck, you're crazy. Go home, you're drunk. But it actually really works for... It's like an incredible interrogation of, um, of capitalism and fakeness and kind of obsessions with wealth and glamour. And it's really... And yeah, it's really dark well, and yeah. amazing.
0: I tell you my I was in New York when it was on on Broadway and I stayed clear of it for, yeah. for a couple of weeks. Oh, totally. so like, There's no way it's, I want to it's, go and it's see like, that. This sounds stupid. Why would you do that? And uh, I think I'd seen the film, you know, in my teens and uh, I thought my god, why would you put that? I know on when I when I first saw
1: when I first saw they announce it doing it um in the UK with Matt Smith from the from the, um Doctor Who, yeah. I was like, "Oh no, really?" You know, this sounds stupid. But yeah, after listening to the soundtrack, it... It really makes, it really makes sense. And it's such a well, dark,
0: it's a it, 80s soundtrack, totally. isn't it? And, yeah. Um, and, and it's D- such Duncan a, Duncan Sheik. Duncan and, Sheik who did Spring
1: Awakening. Yeah. yeah. Sure. And it's such a dark existential world. I mean, you know, you, you, automatically you have this existential world. I mean, what better way to, to, you know, stage existentialism than through song?
0: Let's be honest. Well, curiosity got the better of me and I thought, well, yeah. I'll go and have a look. I'm just, I just want to see how they treat this material musically. And I had the best night. Yeah. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. It is such a—I forgot that it's such a black comedy. Yeah, it's, 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 it's very, very, very funny. funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it's 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 this beautiful. I mean, Act One is like it's almost it, It's it's so funny in like the most irreverent way that really puts pushes buttons. It's I, I call it pitch black comedy, uh, and then it kind of goes in this direction, which is very. Unexpected. It kind of almost it promises pr- it promises you the film. It gives you the film, but then it takes you where you would not. You would yeah, where you had no idea you were going to go.
0: When do, when do you open?
1: Open on... Oh, my God, I don't know. Um, But you're you're playing through... We're playing through May, June. June. So I think we open on, like, the 13th of May. I don't know the exact date. All I know is when we bump in. So, you know, for now. Well, it's the 2nd of May
0: when people are listening to this. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, good. Well, that's, you know, we'll be bumping in around now. (laughs) 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 You're looking very well for that. Um, You talked about Bertolt Brecht and uh, Samuel Beckett. Who are other artists that inspire
1: you? Ah. Oh. I'd say, I think I think Baz Baz Lerman I think was definitely an inspiration in terms of his his film treatment of Romeo and Juliet, Moulin Rouge. I think that's you know that's just that like overt theatricality, and then you know the work of um, and like, something like
0: Strictly Ballroom. Yeah, too. Yeah, Strictly which, Ballroom which as well. Yeah, started at NIDA, of yeah. course, but that has a very
1: unique aesthetic. Which totally, is but like- also this like fast fast like this fast pace um treatment i mean i i mean ask the um, cast of the, Cro- the, the
0: quick editing the quick you editing said, yeah and also i tell rouge a friend of mine described that went to that he said it was like going to a karaoke bar on ecstasy
1: well totally and i mean <laughs> i mean like you know ask ask some of the cast members from um, crybaby I think we, we we coined this phrase called the cocaine run right um, where it's like let's do let's run this scene as if we've all had a line of cocaine and see what happens you know like just like like quick quick snap very Boom. fast yes. very fast not just fast but just like high energized and I mean you know, or ten I, cups of coffee or ten cups of coffee yeah. you call it what you will but yeah I think I was really drawn to this this like energy and this kind of this irreverence and this like theatricality I think that you know, that's been really influential. But then also the work of like Robert Wilson, for example, and his, you know, synthesis of light and design and kind of staging is so refined and, and incredible, but also so playful. You know, it's yeah, so I think those are some kind of key references, but I think, you know, other than that it's it's a hodgepodge of things from all over that, you know, I, I can't really specify, I
0: suppose. Yeah. Do you what, do you read your reviews? Um, I do I can't help myself I think everyone's a little bit curious I want to see what other people think of them Uh, and then
1: whenever you always and then you 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 go in thinking it might be good and then it turns up really bad and then you're like why did I do that yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) but you'll continue to read them
1: I'll continue to read them I think you're only human well I think you're only human but also you need to know the conversation that's happening you kind of, I think it's. I mean, you. We don't make work in a vacuum, so it's kind of the only way to. It's. Only, it's like your insight into conversations and what it's kind of. It's what makes. What it's making people feel and think and, and and how they're reacting to it. So, I think I'm. I'm I I find most interest in reading reviews um, when there's something being said about the conversation or what you're trying to say. And what the what that audience member got from that, rather than critiques of I thought the lighting should have been more red, you know, or like, oh, you know, the costumes were a little bit too shiny, you know. Like whenever reviewers kind of bring those out, you're like, well, maybe there's a reason they were meant to be shiny, you know. Like, I, yeah. So I think when I think when uh, reviewers uh, interrogate more the conversations you were trying to happen, uh, have, and how successful you were in having them, I think that's. When I really enjoy reading reviews,
0: so American Psycho, Lord of the Flies, anywhere else we can see the House of Balage this year. <laughs> I'd say maybe
1: it's a cottage at the moment. Um, uh, potentially, oh sorry, I am um, going to be lighting the Birmingham Royal Ballet Fantastic. in September.
0: What, have you done ballet before?
1: Never done ballet before. So that's going to be really interesting. So I
0: so, so is that... Um, they've obviously got a production that they've been doing for a while. So do you have to interpret their lighting stage? No, or so you this, this, is, your a new, this is a new work. So, so you're going to Birmingham?
1: I'm going to Birmingham oh, to like some ballet, which I'm really excited about. Um, so a uh, uh, someone from the company came over and saw a piece that I lit for Sydney Dance Company at the end of last year and they uh, enjoyed the work I was doing and um, got an email to ask whether I'd be interested in, in joining them over there. So working with um, a, a young Australian choreographer called Jack Lister and we're creating a new new sort of contemporary ballet work which is going to go there and then go to Sadler's Wells and, um, and then going to be back in uh, Queensland, I think, sometime in the future. So doing that and then... Um, Lighting Opera Queensland in October. What are they doing? They're doing um, Orpheus and Eurydice. Brilliant. So yeah, having managing, so uh, you know, first half of the year is, is directing, and then second half of the year, I'm kind of uh, you know bouncing around doing a bit of opera, a bit of ballet, a bit of dance, and kind of yeah, mainly doing the lighting towards the end of the year. So it's 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 a it's a nice
0: year. Well, it sounded like the studio backlog paid off in Ashfield.
1: <laughs> I know, I know. It's it's it's. Uh, I wish I wish we kept it. I suppose, but now it's scrap wood, or it's probably probably ashes somewhere in the sky. I don't know.
0: Oh, that, right. Yeah, Alex has been absolutely brilliant talking to you on Stages. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you your, so much for your joy and enthusiasm, and and the brilliant work that you do to keep audiences so engaged and entertained.
1: Oh, thank you. No, it's been such a pleasure chatting. I really appreciate it.
0: Have you subscribed to Stages yet? do so and keep up to date with every new guest episode as it is released subscribe in apple podcasts and through wooshka our hosting platform and please take the time to rate and review the podcast is in the itunes directory it helps to grow our audience and reach more stages listening i'm peter Ryers. catch you next time on stages